Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on KHSIPress.com. I'm Daniel Gibby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC is live from Singapore this weekend for UFC 275, headlined by Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prohashka. We'll be breaking down that fight, the flyweight main event, also a very exciting strawweight featured fight. We'll be breaking it all down as well as giving you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend, so make sure to tune into that. Also, we'll be doing two interviews from UFC 275 and ending the show today. I'll be talking to Steve Garcia, who's getting ready to try to put together his first ever UFC win streak. And earlier on in the fight card, I'm going to be talking to a fighter who's fighting on the Road to UFC series that takes place on Friday. I'm talking about Josephine Nutson, who is Not actually in one of the tournaments, but she talks about what an opportunity this is for her to make an impression on the UFC brass. Now, before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights analysis and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can catch my bonus pick that you can only find on the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Josephine Dutzin, who fights Yi Dam Sio at Road to the UFC, Singapore 3. That fight is on Friday, June 10th. So, Josephine, I wanted to start here. You're obviously very well decorated in the martial arts community. You know, you've got a Muay Thai World Championship. You were a K1 Grand Prix finalist. What made you, after all of those accolades, decide to switch over and, and fight MMA? I mean, I... I come from a, a gym where MMA is the, the biggest martial art in, in our gym. And uh, I have like big role models like Alexander Gustafsson, uh, Ilir, uh, Kamsa Shemaev. So I, I'm training like in the same environment every day as these uh, champions in my eyes. So for me, it's always been like in the back of my head, like like one day I'm going to go over to to the bad side or like MMA. <laughs> so and when the covid uh, came you know happened to the world uh, then it was like i think in that turn uh, i i trained more and more mma and that was the only option of training we had back in the, in that year so i trained it every day so that's interesting so have you always been at all stars for for as long as you've been training in, in martial arts, have, have you never trained in like a Muay Thai specific gym? Uh, no, all stars since almost since day one. Like the first gym I went to, that was when I like started with self defense. That back then I was like 13, 14 years old, and it was like a little bit martial artist, but it was more like self defense and karate, and, you know, like that. So after that, I've been on all stars training Muay Thai, K1. And now MMA. 
So you've you've constantly been surrounded then by Alexander Gustafsson and Ilya Latifi and and all those people. So you know, like what what is it like training with them? Are is that those training partners for you? Are those people you get lots of reps in? Obviously, they're much bigger than you are, but yeah, of course. It's not like they are my sparring partners, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's like like in the beginning, of course, you are like always a little bit starstruck, but. We are very like well club mates. Now we are training on the same sessions. I'm training with the girls. They're training with the heavyweights and the big guys. And uh, yeah, it's really motivating. Like it doesn't matter like how many times I train with in the same uh, in the same uh, sessions. Like uh, I still I'm still motivating training side by side with them. So. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Now I, I gotta ask, which which one made you feel starstruck when you first started? Who was who was the person that made you feel like you know you were the the young kid and the young up and comer surrounded by superstars? Sorry, sorry, can you repeat that one more time? Yeah, absolutely. I I was asking which which of the fighters made you feel the most starstruck when you were when you were a young kid up and coming through through the ranks. Oh, okay, now I get it. Uh, that has to be Alexander Gustafsson when I started. So because for me he he's always gonna be the legend, you know. And he also put Sweden on the map in the MMA world, you know. So and he yeah he's like a true legend. And he's a good person. He's a good fighter. And yeah. And of course, I, I obviously, if I asked you about Alexander, I've, I've got to ask you about Kamzat too. He's the guy who's getting all of the publicity in the MMA world right now. Is it weird having known him before he was, you know, like he, he's a meme. He's everywhere right now. Like, is, yeah. is it weird knowing him before that? Like, it's maybe like, I guess a little bit, but not because he's always been like this in person, you know. So it only became like official for the world. Like, this is him. This is how he is, you know. Uh, when he get the hype you know he go on the hype too you know so like i'm happy for him and he's he's like yeah yeah he he deserved the hype but he truly is himself and nothing else well we love hearing stuff like that now enough talking about your training partners we we should talk about you and this great opportunity you have it's a very weird structure because if you look at the road to ufc all of them are tournaments right like they're all you know four fight tournaments or something like that and your bout is a standout. You're actually the only women's fight in the whole thing. Yeah. What, is, what, are, what are your sort of expectations going in then? You know, all these other tournaments definitely leading to contracts. Yours is a standalone fight. How do you feel about mm-hmm. that? You know, uh, I'm excited. But for me, it's like I'm only thinking about the fights. And in the end, it's all about the fight. Like, it's not only about winning. It's about doing a good fight and doing my best performance ever. And I think, like, when I get this big uh, opportunity to fight for, like, UFC and maybe a contract, you know, nothing is 100%. Like, everything can happen. So, at the end, it's all about the fight, like, winning, but also doing, a, a like, a good performance. And if they like what they see, they like what they see, they, maybe they give a contract or not, you know? So, it's, it's all up to them. And I'm going to give my best. And then it's up to me, but it's up to them if they like what they see. So. For sure, for sure. And, and you know, you mentioned putting on a good performance. Do you feel like yes. you have to, to, to prioritize finishing your opponent? Do you have to prioritize going out there and picking up a TKO, with, you know, with something spectacular? Yes, 
yes, you can say that. <laughs> I, I, you know, but I don't have to like overcommit. But yeah, of course, that's always in the back of my head. Yes. For sure. Now, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about your opponent, EDM. So, she, she's got all of her finishes on the mat. If you look at her record, you know, rear naked chokes, lots of grappling. What did you think of when you started to get to know her based on, you know, when they give you the name of the opponent? Obviously, you're looking her up. You see that she's a grappler. She's the exact opposite style of what you're used to. Like, what, what were your thoughts on that? You know, I thought, like, okay, this, like, I, me and my coach, we saw this coming because I think you see have my background as a striker and they want to give me a challenge. So, I mean, it's like obvious they give me a grappler and they give her a challenge too. So, I mean, it's both ways. So they want to like, for me, it's like I'm going to use my full defense and I'm also not afraid getting on the ground, but that's not my, like, that's not my goal. I want to be standing on my feet and do do what I love the most. So it's my striking. So it wasn't like a surprise, but we thought like, okay, yeah, now now we know what we have to prove everybody. And, and it's got to be not all that different for you anyway, because I'm assuming in all of your, your bouts, and I, I saw the one with Elizabeth Rodriguez, like it's clear yeah. women want to get you to the mat, right? This is what you're used yeah. to at this point. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's like, in that fight, I didn't get on the ground. And, I mean, Elizabeth is, of course, maybe she's, like, really good on the ground. So it's all about how I want the fight to turn into. So if I avoid avoid to get on the ground or if I get on the ground, you cannot, like, get panic if that happens. But, like, I haven't been in that position yet. And we will see now. If I get there, if I'm going to become better on the ground or if I'm going to stand up and do my thing again like everything can happen absolutely and and did you prioritize that a little bit in training did you spend extra time in the grappling knowing that they were setting you up for you know a a test in the grappling department yeah I think yeah of course it's like 50 50 I think because we don't want to put like too much energy in that it's not my end game you know and I will not just defend the whole fight. It's not my game either. So, of course, I have to work on my defense and I have to, like, know what I'm doing if I get on my back on the ground. But at the end, my game is striking and that's, like, my strength. And if I show my strength early in the fight, maybe she will get the respect. And if she gets the respect, maybe she will try to take me down. But, yeah, I, I know it's coming. Absolutely. And, and I usually like to ask fighters for a prediction. Do you have a prediction for how you expect this fight to go on Friday? Yes, I have. But, you know, uh, I want to finish this fight early. I want to do it in my standing. And that's the only goal I have in my head. I'm not going to overcommit it in the fight, but this is what I'm thinking about all the time. I love it. Now, I also have just one more question for you before I let you go. I, I love hearing the nickname stories of, of how fighters have gotten <laughs> their fight nicknames. And, you know, you go by the nickname Thunder, which I, I sort of yeah. love. And, and I don't, you know, you don't hear a whole lot of Thunders out there. What, Where does the nickname Thunder come from for you? My my nickname come from uh, from my coach here, Sanya Trubojevic. No. <laughs> and... Um, like uh, I think it was like in the beginning when we saw for the first time met. I, I think it was in a sparring. Yeah, we met each other in a sparring, and she was like, K 
kicking me down all the time and we continue the sparring and, and we and uh, after that when she gets to know me she just gave me this name thunder and then it's been with us all the time in all the fights when we're going outside sweden because uh, it's for uh, you're gonna get more mem- um, remembered with a fight name than just your normal name for sure, and and was it more than just that? It's it's something that helps people remember you. Was was there a reason why she picked Thunder particularly? Oh, yeah, because uh, no. because my speed and my explosive explosiveness. So I would say that it is like one of my strengths. The song Thunder. Yeah, Thunderstruck. So we always <laughs> have this enter song before we enter the cage or the ring before. Well, we're we're looking forward to hearing that song come Friday, and we're looking forward to seeing you fight Yi DMCO. Which again, fans, this has been Josephine Nutten, who fights Yi DMCO at Road to the UFC Singapore Three. That fight on February or uh, Friday, rather June 10th. Josephine, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Josephine Nutton. I, once again, am Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Toronto. Dave, UFC 274 live from Singapore on pay-per-view this upcoming weekend. Give me a number on a scale from 1 to 10. How excited are you for this event? I am a very solid 8, uh, and I will tell you why. First of all, you have the magical Disney movie-type run of Glover Teixeira, Either moving on, maybe coming up to an eventual end here. We're probably down to Glover's last two fights from what he said. He probably wants to wind down his career at MSG later this year, and that's with or without uh, the belt if he loses this weekend. So there's that aspect. Then we have the amazing, amazing rematch of Ioana versus Zhang Wei Li, and you have a Valentina Bolachevchenko fight, so that's always exciting. A couple of fun, you know, up-and-comers as well on the undercard. It's just good storylines all around between the amazing rematch of one of the best fights ever and certainly maybe the best female fight of all time and then the Glover storyline. So I'm pretty pumped. How about you? Yeah, and uh, I would say I'm maybe even higher than that. I would be a full-on 10 if the co-main event wasn't Valentina Shevchenko versus Talia Santos because, like, or Talia Santos, sorry. Uh, like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy Talia Santos. I think Talia Santos is a lot of fun. Uh, but at the same time, like, I, I don't think she's a super competitive uh, match for that. But like you said, the Glover and Yuri fight, super exciting. Weili Zhang versus Yuani on JCheck, super exciting. Plus, then we got some of my favorite, like, hot prospects on this card. You know, we got uh, Manel Cape, who's a lot of fun. Jack Della Metalena, who's a lot of fun. I personally love Jacob Melkin, who's a lot of fun. So... Yeah, there's a lot to love on this fight card, so uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. Well, hey, what a perfect segue. Let's not waste any more time. Let's start breaking down this card. We should, you know, maybe talk about a couple of fights, give a parlay to play, maybe even a live dog if we're feeling frisky. You know what? Let's just call the segment Fights Dogs Parlays. Oh, wait, that is a segment already, and it's our favorite segment. So let's do that for UFC 275, but Gumby first. Does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights Dogs and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by MMA Play 365. Uh, MMA Play 365 is a predictions and betting service out here trying to help the public make money on the UFC and MMA in general. 
For one super low fee, you're going to get access to their professional handicapper with a six-year winning record who gives you full breakdowns, parlays, and their official bets. But that's not all. For the same price, you also get access to their brand new Bayes AI prediction software, which uses advanced algorithms to give you percentages for each possible outcome on every single UFC fight. They got packages of all length and sizes to fit your needs, including a daily fantasy sports one, if that's your gig. So go check them out at MMAplay365.com. Don't forget to use promo code TOPTURTLE and get 10% off their annual package, which is already super affordable to begin with. It's a deal you can't afford to pass up. That's MMA Play 365. All right. Well, let's start with the main event, as we're known to do. And the 42-year-old Glover Teixeira is on a six-fight win streak. And that's since losing to Corey Anderson back in July of 2018. He's beaten the likes of Nikita Krylov, Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos. And it all culminated back in October with a submission victory via rear naked choke over Jan Bonkovic, the then-champion, to make Glover fulfill the lifelong dream, become the UFC light heavyweight champion at the tender age of 42 years old. And here we have his first defense all the way out in the Philippines against what looks like a menace, an absolute menace in Yuri Prajaka. Uh, he's only 2-0 in the UFC, but he's 28-3-1 as a pro. Uh, the veteran has wins in Rock the Cage, GCF, and risen most notably and most recently before coming to the UFC. In the UFC, he debuted with a win uh, via KO over Vulcan Ozdemir, a former title challenger, and then came back with a spinning back elbow KO over former title challenger Dominic Reyes. So Yuri, looking so ridiculously dominant, I get huge Ivan Drago versus Rocky vibes for this one. Um, with Glover really being kind of like the the plucky underdog in this case. Of course, his grappling always keeps him in the fight, but also near the tail end of his career, you know, I I don't think going with Yuri is an awful bet, and that's said by someone who's a massive Glover fan. Who you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with Yuri. Uh, as, as much as I love Glover, like, Yuri has done all the right things to prepare himself for this exact moment. Like, you know, a lot of times we talk about somebody being rushed to the title. You mentioned his massively long record, right? He's a guy who's 28-3-1. You mentioned all the regional scene fights he's had and the fights for Ryzen. Those fights for Ryzen, I think, were huge for him. Not not only did he get really great experience and, and more experience, but he fought guys like, you know, King Mo. He fought Fabiano Maldonado. He knocked out C.B. Dalloway. Like, those are – and, man, I didn't even mention that he had finished Vadim Nemkov, the, the Bellator light heavyweight champion right now, a guy with wins over Ryan Bader and Phil Davis. So, you know, look, I, I think Yuri Prohashka has shown in his two UFC fight stint that, like, the thing about him is he's just so funky and unpredictable on the feet that it's, like, hard to get a read on, like, when you would even try to take him down, which is, for me, the problem here with, with Glover Teixeira. Like – Yes, you know, you could say a lot of the things about Jan Blankovic. He's got power in his hands. He's done the right things to get to this point. But also, like, his, his striking was not crazy or unpredictable. And, like, he was susceptible to get into a tie-up here or there. The thing about Prohashka is, like, yeah, you might wind up in a tie-up with him for a second. But then, like, you're getting hit in the side of the head with an elbow you had no idea could even hit you from there. So, yeah, I, I think there's just too many things stacked in the favor of Yuri Prohashka here. I also, you know, I, I hate saying this about Glover Teixeira because, like you said, I, I'm a Glover Teixeira guy too. 
I think the KO prop probably makes the most sense. Like, if, if Yuri Prohoshka is going to win, it isn't going to be by fighting Glover Teixeira for 25 minutes. So if you're going to bet him, you might as well get that number down to, like, I, I believe I saw it at negative 125 for, for Yuri Prohoshka by KO. So um, that's that's probably my pick here. Yeah, I'm actually a little surprised how tight the fight are, odds are, and I failed to mention them, um, but uh, 195, minus 195 for Yuri the favorite and Glover, the champion, betting off at a plus 165. I, I could totally see Glover getting plus 200 there, like a full two-to-one odds. But that being said, I mean, we do this every time with Glover when it looks like he's going in to fight a menace, someone who's just going to absolutely outstrike him and be faster and everything else on the feet. Glover always finds that way to win. I mean, we don't have much. Yuri was taken down in some earlier fights. Then he went on a string of not being taken down for like 18 fights in a row. Uh, Dominic Reyes was able to take him down with like a pretty simple tie-up and leg trip in the center of the octagon. So that is something to consider. You know, we don't know much just from his UFC battles because there have only been two, and he got quick KOs. And this kind of goes back to like a Brock Lesnar or a Ronda Rousey. We don't know what we don't know against high-level UFC competition. If Glover were to somehow get in a scramble and get his back, is Yuri capable of defending that? I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll find out. I, I think yeah, that that's totally a question worth asking, and probably why the line stayed as, as close as it did. Exactly. All right, let's move on to something probably a little easier to break down. We have a very dominant champion in Valentina Shevchenko, female one twenty-five. She's a minus six thir- a minus six thirty, uh, and Talia Santos is coming in as a plus four fifty dog. Let's talk about where the two ladies have come from to meet here um, all the way across the world. Valentina Shevchenko is on a eight-fight win streak, coming off a big TKO win over Lauren Murphy to defend her title. She's defended her title now six times in a row and going for seven, and a heavy favorite against Talia Santos, who's on a four-fight win streak. Wins over Molly McCann, Jillian Robertson, Roxanne Matafari, and coming off a very big win over Joanne Wood, a performance of the night back in November of 2021, rear naked choke victory for the win and to earn a title shot. I also have to go back to the win over Roxanne Matafari, obviously a legend in female fighting and, uh, you know, a top fighter in the UFC. That was one to build her name off of, though. I'm a little forsaken on it, to be quite honest with you, Gumby, because when I look at this matchup, and I'm obviously going with Valentina Shevchenko, and I assume she's just going to dominate and win, but I see her fighting someone with the initials of TS, and almost for a fleeting second, I thought to myself, Tatiana Suarez, initials TS, she should be fighting for this title, and she was supposed to fight with Tatiana Suarez, one of the most exciting prospects, a woman we called the female Khabib as she was coming up. She was supposed to fight Roxanne Matafari last fall and then had to pull out due to injury and now hasn't fought in going on three, almost four years. But Tatiana Santos stepped in and, you know, or sorry, Talia Santos stepped in, did what she had to do and built her, her championship, uh, you know, title contention resume. But that all being said, I wish this was Tatiana Suarez. (laughs) Well, I I would agree with you for a little bit, but I would also say this Talia Santos poses some of the same threats as Tatiana Suarez. I wouldn't say all of them, right? Tatiana Suarez, you know, a very top-level wrestler. But we're talking about somebody in Talia Santos who took down Molly McCann five times in their fight back in uh, July of 2020 and took down Roxanne Matafari five times in September of 2021. 
you know, like that, that fight you're talking about, you know, supposedly being Tatiana Suarez. This is somebody who has very legitimate grappling games, somebody who can stuff takedowns and, and hit takedowns. And I think in order to be successful and, and, you know, spoiler alert, I'm picking Valentina Shevchenko as well. But in order to be successful against Valentina Shevchenko, I think one of the things you have to do is you have to mix in those takedowns. You have to show her that there's a grappling threat. And, you know, Santos is a large threat on the feet as well. You know, you're talking about in her last three fights, the, the one with, or the last two fights, the one with Joanne Wood and the one with Roxanne Amatafari, she actually has three knockdowns in those fights from, from strikes. So it's, she's definitely got power in her hands. You know, she, she clearly can throw big bombs, but she can also mix in the takedowns. I actually see her on a short list of being some of the few people in this division who can give Valentina Shevchenko a real fight like I I think she is actually going to give her a real exciting fight wouldn't surprise me to see her take a round or two but yeah I'm gonna go with Shevchenko as well here so uh but but definitely Taya Santos at plus 450 intrigues me enough that I would like think about it I like it I like it I'm I respect the opinion I also really respect and I'm excited about this next fight which is Weili Zhang, a minus 165, and Ioanni Jacek a plus 145. This, of course, is a rematch um, from, if you haven't seen it, fire up UFC Fight Pass, ESPN app. It's probably free on YouTube at this point. Go rewatch that. Do yourself a favor if you haven't seen it. But if you're listening to us, you're an MMA nerd and you saw it, uh, we all know this was a split decision win for uh, Zhang Weili back in March of 2020. The photos of Joanna's face with the blood pooling and draining in her face, her black eyes, absolutely legendary. And Joanna hasn't fought since then. So this is a two-year layoff for Joanna. She beat Michelle Waterson before that and lost to Valentina Shevchenko for the women's flyweight title. Um, that was all the way back in December of 2018. So here we are. Joanna, once thought of as such a dominant champion, is now one and two in her last three and hasn't fought in two years. Uh, Weili has kept herself a little more busy. Um, she has lost back-to-back to Rose Namajunas, lost the UFC strawweight title to Rose in April of 2021, coming off the Ioana win, and then came back and lost a closer fight, a split decision loss to Rose back in November of 2021. So she's one and two herself in her last three, but both losses to Rose and in, you know, a very competitive fight in the second one, she's the favorite here. Who you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with Weili Chang. Uh, I I think, look, I I think this is a competitive fight. It was a competitive fight the first time, but the bottom line is here when we're talking about these two in a three round fight versus a five round fight, Weili Chang has, is a better starter, right? Like we've seen her not have to feel people out and to go for the kill early on. We saw her do it with Jessica Andrade. She finished her in, what, like 62 seconds or something like that. She starts hot. Um, whereas Ioana Janjacek is a Thai-style fighter. She, she's really good striker. But often it takes her a little bit of wa- time to figure out her range, to figure out her striking. We saw that if you go back to the Claudia Gadelia fights, where she kind of got out-wrestled and, and steamrolled in the first couple of rounds, had to build up momentum in rounds 3, 4, and 5 to win those that fight. So... I think, first of all, the three-round fight favors Wei Li Zhang. And the other thing just being, you know, you mentioned the damage to Yuani on JJX face in the first fight. These fights are scored on damage, right? If there's not a finish, it's the impact of the strikes that wins you rounds. I could see Yuani on JJX outlanding her, but not doing more damage, right? Like, Wei Li Zhang is the person who's snapping people's heads back, 
Joanna Jan Jacek is less so that. Like, I'm not saying she's not that, because in, in a fight with just about any other woman in this division, she'd be that too. But against Weili Zhang, she's the one doing that less so. So I like Weili Zhang here based on power, based on finishing ability, and based on the fact that I think she's just going to start faster. I agree with everything you say, and I'll tack on one more. I like that even though one was a devastating loss, I like that she's been more active. When two fighters were so razor close in such a crazy back-and-forth battle, I just favor the one. It's like you said, it's just, is Joanna going to take two rounds to kind of feel herself again? And is that too late when you have no margin for error against someone you're so closely matched up against? All right, let's get to our dog of the week. It's Na Liang, a plus 135. Let's hear it. Yeah, I'd love Na Liang, first of all. She she made her UFC debut, and I think a lot of people wrote her off after it. But for Christ's sakes, go back and watch round one of Na Liang versus Ariane Carnalosi, somebody who is damn tough in that flyweight division, or strawweight division, rather. Na Liang took her down, dominated her. And look, if you watch Na Liang on any of her regional bouts, she has got incredible submissions. She's got great arm bars. She's got great triangle chokes. She's got great guillotine. She she can finish people on the ground from anywhere. Who's she fighting? She's fighting Silvana Gomez Juarez, somebody who's fought twice in the UFC and has lost both times by armbar uh, and got taken down a bunch of times. And actually, in the second fight, she didn't even get taken down. She was the one on top. She landed a good strike because she is, you know, a decent striker and was subbed from the bottom. So, like, look. I don't know how they lined Na Liang winding up an underdog here, other than the fact that she clearly gassed out in the second round of her first fight. But look, she was she's like 22 years old or something like that. You know, octagon jitters, put those aside. She's getting her second step into the octagon, fighting somebody she could easily submit, and somehow coming in here at plus 135. So I'm all over it. I like it. Uh, our parlay to play, Jack Della, a minus 140. Bacharel Donna, a minus 150. Pair them together. It gets you plus 186 odds. Break it down. Yeah, so let's start with Jack Dallamedalena. Like, that dude is just absolutely dynamite. Uh, since coming off the Contender Series, and, and while he was on the Contender Series, he's looked amazing. He's going to fight a guy in Ramazan Amiyev. A guy who, when you see his name, you're like, oh, that guy's good at takedowns, and has not had very much success in takedowns. There's no way Amiyev outstrikes Jack Della. He's just too fast. He's just too strong. And I think he stuffs enough takedowns here that he lights up Amiyev on the feet. And speaking of lighting people on the feet, Bagarel Dana is, has dynamite in his hands. I think people forget what a crazy three-fight winning streak he was on before he got caught by that spinning back fist uh, couple, or, uh, you know, half a year ago at this point in time. He's such a good striker, and Kyung Ho Kang, similar to Ramazan Amiyev, is a guy who likes to get it done with his grappling, sometimes isn't getting enough takedowns. I think he's going to have to stand and bang with Dana, and I don't think that's going to go well for him. So I'm going to take the two guys blitzing the wrestlers on their feet, and I'm going to say they get it done at plus 186. Boom. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Hey, let us know if he did you right. Let us know if he did you dirty. You can hit us up on our Instagram and Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Gumby, we are a moving. Where do we go next in this great show of ours? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Steve Garcia Jr., who fights Hayer Mashashe at UFC 275. Before we go to that interview, I do want to mention that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Steve Garcia. 
All right, and joining me today is Steve Garcia, who fights Hayes Masashe at UFC 274. That fight live from Singapore on June 11th. Now, before I get to that fight and talking about what you've got coming up, Steve, I wanted to start by talking about the fact that you're coming off of a win, the first win of your UFC career, almost almost 10 years into your UFC or into your pro career or your your amateur career even too. You've been fighting for 10 years. You finally get that big win. What's it like? Man, there's really nothing like it, to be honest. Uh, you know, your ultimate goal, I think, as a as a pro, everybody's goal is to get to the UFC. I mean, I fought on some big organizations, but um, I I just believe that UFC just it is a whole different ball game to me, and I feel like making it there was one accomplishment, and then winning inside of it was another. So, uh, man, it was an amazing feeling, and uh, I can't wait to feel it again. Absolutely. And, and of course, I got to ask, too, with it being such a spectacular, such a dominant victory, too, you know, like, do you take extra away from that? Or was it just, you know, the pure relief of having your first UFC win under your belt? It was more the pure relief of it being my first win. I mean, I always expect every fight to be dominant and I expect every fight to be uh, a finish. I don't I, I'm not I'm not a guy that cruises on points, really. Um, but you know, you take a win as as you can get it. So I try not to be too picky, but I definitely, I definitely am uh, a finisher, and I'm always looking to have big fights so everybody continues to watch me and support me. Absolutely, and and this is going to be an exciting fight. So let's get to talking about this one. Before we talk about your opponent, you're going to Singapore, which is you know, if especially being a guy who was signed, you know, right around when the pandemic started in the UFC and you didn't get to fight in front of live crowds. And, and there's a smattering of live events here and there. But to fight in one that's international like this, halfway across the world, what was it like getting the call and the offer to do that? You know, it's it's it's, uh, it's very cool as far as the traveling aspect. Like, obviously, my job allows me to travel and see places I never thought I'd see. So I think that's awesome, and it's, it's very... I think it's a very cool part of my job, but I don't think you get to experience it necessarily the way that you would want because you're cutting weight or you're training for a fight, you're getting ready to get into a fist fight with somebody. So there's there's uh, some pros and cons to it, but to be honest, it's I'm just happy to fight. I'm happy to, you know, it's really wherever wherever they'll have me. And, you know, I was blessed to have that first uh, fight that was short notice in front of a crowd, which was awesome too. So I think... Um, I think having a crowd there is going to be great. I, I'm I'm excited to have a crowd there again. Like I think that energy is uh, so awesome to feel. Just people that are that are just fans and just want to see, you know, two people go at it. I think that's awesome. Absolutely. And you you mentioned a little bit of the cons of travel too. You know, is it much more difficult for you to cut weight dealing with? You know, we're we're talking right now as of Friday. I assume you're traveling soon. Is that to get the the stuff out of the way for the weight cut? How much more difficult is it for you to travel like this and cut? Um, luckily, I mean the fact that I moved up in weight, uh, it doesn't make it as hard. But if I was cutting like how I used to cut. Um, it would definitely make it a little bit more challenging. I mean, I know you tend to, uh, uh, you retain more water when you travel and, and, and like in this case, I'm, I'm happy. I'm not, I'm not far off at all. Uh, but you know, traveling, you know, flying for 20, 25 hours is, is kind of rough. So we leave, like I leave on Sunday, uh, to Singapore and, um, you know, I think I'll have enough time to adjust the, the time and, and everything like that. So, uh, I think I have enough time. I shouldn't be an issue. And, you know, guys, we'll make it. We'll make it 
it's happening. You know, we're going to figure it out. But there's, like I said, there's pros and cons to your job, and this is kind of uh, a con to it. But it's also a blessing, too, because you need to go to somewhere awesome and experience experience things over there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And and I know you just mentioned coming up in weight. I, I know your fights in the UFC have been at lightweight, but for those who don't know, you fought a bunch at featherweight outside of the UFC. What, what led you to decide 55 in the big show and not go back to where you had been fighting most of your regional fights? Well, most of my, most of my fights at 35. Um, so most people don't really know that they, they think it is, is spread out to 45, but I want to say, I think total, I mean, this is including my amateur and all my other fights too. This will be my 33rd fight. And, uh, I want to say anywhere from 26 to 28 of them are, are at 35. You know, I, I've had maybe four, three, three, three or four of them at 45. You know, this will be my third one at 55. At the end of the day, my ultimate goal is to win no matter what weight class I'm at. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I answered all your questions. I'm sorry if I, if I missed something. But Oh, no. I, um, I'm just curious on, on why you decided, like, what, what made you decide, like, no, I could do 55. Obviously, the short notice fight for the first one, you know, they, they need a guy to wait and you show up at that weight. But what made you decide to stay there? Uh, well, actually, it just it became a, a medical issue for me. So I was actually scheduled to fight uh, uh, Peterson and uh, Charles Jordan uh, at 45. But I was running into a lot of medical issues, uh, like gut-related. And so I, I, was, I was having trouble. I, was, I didn't want to pull out, but I'd push, I'd push my body to the limits, and it just would backfire on me. I'd feel so sick. And, you know, I, after, so, after so long, you know, you, just, you, you, don't, you know something's wrong. And so when I was training for those fights, I had to just make a decision. And I'm like, man, I was like, this is, this is going to be hard for me, especially dealing with some of the issues I've been dealing with. I was like, I think the safest bet for me is to go to 155 until I figure things out. Um, and if I stay here at 55, then I stay at 55. But um, yeah, it just it, it was it was a difficult decision to make just for the fact that I've never really competed at 55 until I fought Luis Pena. So uh, it's 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 very it, it was tough. Like I'm still I'm still dealing with it. Like I still have to deal with like the fact that you know I am fighting bigger guys and I'm 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 trying to put on a little bit of size myself. Uh, so I'm mainly doing it for the safety and the health of, of myself. And, you know, I've, I've cut weight so hard for so many, so many, uh, years. And that's pretty much the problem of why I've been struggling so much with weight cutting. Now it's caught up to me and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to balance it out. I feel like my body's healing up, uh, pretty, pretty good. So who knows? I might be back at 45, but right now 55 is my home. Well, that seems like an, an absolutely great reason to do so. Now, let's talk about, you know, like you said, a lot of your opponents wind up being a little bit bigger than you. You are fighting a guy who's very young, very athletic, and a very big guy in higher Shmashashate. What were your thoughts on when they offered you him, a guy fresh off the Contender Series, who, you know, he's young. He's, he's only like a 22-year-old kid without much film on him. What, what were your thoughts when they, they, they came to you with that name? I was actually surprised that they wanted to take the fight because he is—he's still young. He's still as fresh. He's—he's in—in my head, he's still like a youngin. You know what I mean? And I've—I've—I was him at a time, you know. And uh, I was like I said, I was very surprised they took the fight. Not to like, you know, be disrespectful or anything like that. I just don't think it's a necessary fight for him. Uh, but you know what? This is the UFC, and people do things that may not be the best for him. And I'm not saying that he's making a bad decision. It's a fist fight. Anything can happen, and I know that. You know, this kid is very talented. He's very skilled. 
Um, so I no way, no way in hell am I am I uh, underestimating him. But uh, I do see that there's still still some green in him, and um, the problem is I'm the guy that's going to expose it. And uh, you know, I, I I just I've been on his end, and um, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of hard to to say like he's he's not in a good spot. But you know, I feel like I have an advantage in every single aspect of of this fight, and uh, he, he's going to see it. You know, that just that's just my thought. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned in there, too, that you feel like you have the advantage everywhere. But earlier on, you said, you know, you're a person who loves to put on a show for the crowd. You love to put on, you know, a, a brawl if you can. This is a guy who seems to come forward. Do you kind of expect him to oblige you in, th- in that kind of uh, fan-friendly fight? He will. I, I honestly believe that. He will. Just because I did see his confidence, and which, which is another thing that impressed me with him, was the fact is that, like, in the Contender Series, he didn't seem to be phased by that. Some people struggle uh, dealing with uh, the pressure that that comes along with competing in front of Dana White or competing for a contract, you know what I mean? That's that's a big deal. Some people fold and some people don't, and he didn't. You know, the first round didn't go really well with him, but it didn't matter. You know, he still persevered, and you know he did all the right things to keep the fight um, alive. And look at him; he you know he, he found a way to win. So I, I I like I respect people like that because there's you know uh, a dog in there. So I, I definitely uh, I'm looking forward to this fight because I do I do think it can be a, a scrap and you know uh, I think the fans are going to be excited about it. Absolutely, and we are excited about it. Now, before I let you go, I always like to ask my fighters to give me a prediction. How do you see this one ending come uh, June 11th? I can't tell you when when it's going to happen, but in my head, when I play it, uh, he 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 will get finished. So, I mean, I can't tell you when, but I see a TKO finish. It's not a, like it's just a cold-out knockout, but um, he's, he's not going to just lay over for me. He's going he's gonna to put up a hell of a fight. So, uh, I think the fans will get their, get their share of, of fun, but at the end of the day, I come up with a victory, and he's, he's going to, you know, suffer a loss, you know, from my hands. That's kind of what it happens. So it's going to happen. It's what I see. It's what I, like, I, I envision it in my head. So, that's, that's the best I can do for you. Well, we're absolutely looking forward to it. Once again, fans, this has been Steve Garcia, who fights Mayer Mashashe at UFC 274, that fight in Singapore on June 11th. Steve, thank you so much for the time again. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me on, brother. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We cannot do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Better Than Vegas, MMA Play 365, and Maroon Social. And remember, speaking of socials, you can find us on the socials at Top Turtle MMA Podcast, both Twitter and Instagram. Check us out in those locations. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Reeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.